0: Smoke Night Live with Massa Sensei.
1: Never smoke alone. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is Smoke Night Live. I am your host Call me Eric. You could Call me Master Sensei if you feel so inclined. Call you Dad. Even. You could call. You could call well, me I Dad. Can, I can I do. I'm here with my intrepid producer Jordan. What's up, Dojo? And uh, also, studio audience, Matt. Yes. Look at that. Matt's eight feet away.
0: I'm. I'm here.
1: We don't have a studio audience cam, but yeah, it's a, it's for the best. Because of social distancing, we can only have one person in the st- in the studio at a time. We have a uh, security guard stands at the door over there and makes sure that... trade out. Sometimes we put another audience member in there. Only one person at a time comes in, which is nice. This is episode 241 of Smoke Night Live. Thanks to everybody who's joining us. Kevin, Chad, Stephen, Frank, Karen, John, Jay. I mean, the list goes on. It's the typical Friday night show. We're having a good time. We're going to be bringing on our guests shortly. But get this, guys. Check this out. Brand new, hot <laughs> off the presses, leather. It's a leather dojo patch for your jacket. If you're more into like Hold the on. S&M type dojo stuff. Jordan, store. hey, Jordan. <laughs> it's a family show. This is a family show. So these new new leather patches, we'll have these up for sale soon. They're super cool. Never, we've never done a leather patch before. Here we are. I like it. super cool. Hey, uh, guys. Uh, today, Jordan. <laughs> yeah. T- today, I had a doctor's appointment, and the doctor's appointment this sounds like a great start to a joke. The doctor's app- no, it's not. The doctor's appointment was done via a video conference. So how did you, do you like a prostate exam or something? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I just took my webcam. <laughs> and, no, I uh, this is this is this is the extent of my doctor's appointment today. It went something like this. Hey, how you doing? Oh, good. How you been feeling? Oh, I've been feeling pretty good. So, how's your blood pressure been? Yeah, pretty good. I today it was uh da 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 Oh, that's pretty good. I'm glad to hear that you've been, uh, yeah, been exercising. Yeah, I've been exercising. Uh, you've been you've been staying away from the the corona. Yeah, been staying away from the corona. All right, so that'll be a hundred bucks. <laughs> that's that is that is, that is literally. How my okay. doctor appointment went today. I mean, uh you could have charged me I mean, come on, you could you could work with me a little bit. Give me fifteen bucks. So I can handle that. Fifteen bucks. <laughs> Hundred bucks. Literally it was like a eight what would it was an eight yeah. minute doctor's appointment. Why I don't like couldn't have just been done over email? Like apparently not. Well, apparently not. And so <laughs> uh but hey, it's it's a new world we're living in. Everything has changed. So uh everything you do everything now over over Zoom or whatever, Skype or whatever. Everything happens that way. It's insane. But this is an exciting... Week. We've got so much going on lately. We've we've got our new Cigar Spaniola show on Monday. I'll talk more about that at the end of the Cigar show. Cigar
2: Spaniola.
1: And Monday, uh, Nick Perdomo, we're going to have a special Smoke Night Live in the night on this, this coming Monday, which will be fun. Flavor Odyssey on Wednesday, and then, uh, boom, back to Smoke Night Live next Friday. But before... Before I talk about that, let's bring on our guest, one of the absolute coolest dudes in the entire industry, the CEO and founder of Alec Bradley Cigars, Alan Rubin. Alan, welcome to Smoke
2: Night Live, my friend. Hey, everybody. How's everyone doing tonight?
1: Well, we are doing good, and we're super excited to have you on the show. Uh, We've had you on the show once before with your sons when we were remote at at your headquarters, but we've never just had just you. We've never had, Alan, just to ourselves. So we're excited to have you just to ourselves tonight.
2: So there's a couple of things. One is I can't believe this is episode 241. I... And uh, I need to get a clarification on who can call you dad. <laughs> that
0: That's just me.
1: Just... You haven't earned okay, the right yet. There's...
2: Alan, Alan no, no, I just... if you really want to.
1: <laughs> I mean, after a few bourbons... Yeah.
2: You know, yeah, we can well, talk about. Here, that. here we go. <laughs> uh, and then also, I just heard your doctor story, which I think, I think that was a value. Mm. You know, yeah, because look, Saves normally you'd have to go. Yeah, you'd have to go there, and wait, and then he'd have to really check you out, mm-hmm. and they would charge you the same hundred. And this was done in fifteen minutes. So.
0: And he'd have to do the actual prostate exam that's, which you don't want to. You don't want to do anyways. That's a pretty well, good maybe point. that's.
2: Maybe you miss that, and uh, <laughs> you'll get to have it again soon.
1: But I mean, you know, they literally could have just had a cardboard cutout of the doctor. They didn't even need to have <laughs> the doctor there at all. That was this seems like overkill. At computer that point. generated conversation.
2: Yeah. It was probably just pre-recorded. Yeah.
1: So, so Alan, Alan, talk a little bit about your last few weeks, last month or so. I mean, for us, it's been it's been nutty. I mean, it's a whole new world. Uh, you know, what have you, what have you learned about yourself (laughs) in this, uh, quarantine period is, are you good at this? Is this good for you? Or are you terrible at this?
2: Absolutely horrific. I am just terrible. (laughs) Um, I just, it's like, I can't stay home. I find myself wanting to go to the grocery store. If I'm, if I'm walking, it's like, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, it's like a hundred degrees out here. It's 90%, 90% humidity. I'm like, I'm going to go for a walk. I mean, it's, it's not normal behavior. And the other thing is, I think I as mentioning earlier that, um, before we started on the show, I, I, I worked, I mean, I was in the office 13 out of the first 14 days from the time the lockdown started and, you know, I wanted to make sure everything was taken care of and all my, my people were taken care of, whatever. And then I just find myself going in, um, it's just I'm so out of my routine. I'm so out of. Everyone says keep a routine, and I have one. Of them. It's just a terrible one.
0: I would have thought so, you would have picked up like a new skill, like like you would have learned a unicycle or something by now.
2: Yeah, then <laughs> would, I'd be doing this. I'd be doing this in the hospital bed.
1: No, you'd be doing it. You'd be doing the uh, hospital <laughs> appointment from your video from your <laughs> iPad. You're like, all right, just yeah. wrap your leg in a wrap. Your, wrap your leg <laughs> in some
2: gauze. That. Yeah. So the other thing is, is that you know, for me, like some of the balance in my life is I like to go play golf and hang out with my friends, and you know, we play golf or whatever. I'm doing together, which I can't do any of that. Um, and I just bought a golf net for my office, mm. which showed up today. But then, of course, the mat that you hit off of is on three week back order. So cool? yeah, of course, <laughs> not well planned.
1: Speaking of your office, Alan. Um, we're in your office, we're in your office and you, you brought up something before the show that I thought was pretty friggin' awesome. You are boom smoking in the house, baby. It's happened.
2: There's no going back. There's no going
1: back now, baby.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, and the ironic part is first of all, you know, I, I smoke every day I'm in my office. I'm around it all the time. I go into my, you know, onto my deck and smoke at night for myself. But when I'm home, I want to be home. I, I need a place to, you know, kind of get away from everything. And uh, but my wife knows how hard I've been working. She knows how many days I've been in the office, how many hours. A lot of the stuff we've done in terms of some of the Zoom calls and things that I've done have been 10, 11, mid, you know, midnight, and I'm still in the office. And uh, she looked at me. And she said, "You're you're not going to the office. You're gonna I'm redoing my office in my home." And she said, "You're gonna smoke in the house." And I said what? Like, you know, maybe I'm just tired. I didn't hear that correctly. And she says, no, and she said, I don't want you going to the office. I want you to stay home. You know, it's your house. So I want you to relax and I want you to be able to smoke here when you want to and not have to get back in the car and go back to the office. So, um, I mean, she's, she's, she's a queen in my book. I mean, she's doing everything she can during this crazy time to make sure I'm taken care of.
1: That's pretty much like every dude's dream, right? When the wife looks over at
2: you and says,
1: you know, honey, I want you to smoke cigars in the house from this point forward, so.
2: <laughs> By the way, we're, we're married 30 years. This didn't happen. This didn't happen early in our in our <laughs> life together, but I never thought it would happen. And, and the truth is, she just, she's like, hey, you know what, we'll block the door. We did some things. There's some windows open behind me and the air's on. And she's like, hey, you need to you need to be able to, enjoy your life and get your life done here at the house when you want to. So I was thrilled.
1: I am smoking the uh, Petite Lancero coil. Jo- Jordan, what do you... as am I. Is that what you got going to? Yeah. I the... also got a uh, old school 2011
0: cigar of the year on deck. The
1: Petite Lancero oh. is a very underused uh, vitola. Like, I don't know if love I love the size. This isn't one that you see that often, but it's, this is a, by the way, this to me, if you're looking for the ultimate Alec Bradley cigar in my opinion, it's right here, baby This thing is lights out
2: so you guys and Bradley are on the same page yeah, that a, that is Bradley's good <laughs> that's Bradley's go-to cigar right there what I think, what do you I think, think Bradley gave me
1: these I think Bradley gave me these you yeah. know Bradley gave us these Bradley be. yeah he did I think hes I think he's uh he stole one out of the uh, out of his dad's office a box no that's not true. <laughs>
2: No, the in, co- in all honesty, if I want them now, I actually have to go to his office. Ah, so, okay. So is this?
1: Yeah. You, these are hard to come by then, or is that the deal, or what?
2: Yeah, we don't. You know, we don't make a lot of them. Petite lancers are not huge sellers in the in the in the market, the U.S. market. Um, and but Bradley loves to have them in stock, and we still sell a you know decent amount of them. It's not not the the, the you know it's not the top two or three sizes in that line but Bradley will never let us run out because that's a staple in his, uh, in his diet. And that's just the way he rolls. So, and, and by the way, everyone that comes in, that seems to be one of the cigars he gives everybody wow, that he, yeah. that, he liked,
1: that he that he likes. Hey, so. that's a good sign. He must, we made the list. We made the list. We did. It. You know, one, one thing Alan, that I love about you is that you are a whiskey guy. Like me, you're a whiskey guy. And, um, at, at the office at the headquarters there, the Alec Bradley headquarters, there's no short supply of whiskey and bourbon and you got you got all kinds of stuff going on there. Uh, talk about the relationship that you have, uh, you know, with the guys in the whiskey world and how that came to be. And uh, and is that something that uh, you you sort of, you know, pushed through because you love whiskey or did it they, they come to you or how did that work out?
2: Well, first of all, I do love whiskey, and, and I was a scotch drinker, initially a blended scotch drinker, and then I went to single malt scotches. Um, there was a friend of mine who, he was actually a neighbor, and he started the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, and I did not, I didn't know anything about single malt, and his name was Alan, you know, Alan Shane, I, I, and uh, we had a really nice relationship, he was a cigar guy, and I said, Alan, I, I need to learn about single malts, and he went into his own private collection. And, and and gave me 10 bottles from his private collection for me to get started. And that's how I, and all cast strength. I mean, I, I didn't know what to do with As myself when I first be. started, <laughs> yeah. But he, there was like no warning level from him. I mean, it was just like, okay, here's 10. This is, this is a good range. You know, everything was like, you know, uh, 130. You know, it's like, this it was not your normal whiskey and I had to realize okay do I put a little water and then I you know my my palate built over time and and um, we ended up in a relationship we did we did a um, we did a, a whiskey event a really high end whiskey event it was called the ultimate whiskey experience that we were invited to do a cigar masterclass and which that that event is now called nth but it's all the very highest end whiskies in the world and we ended up doing a deconstructive breakdown with William Grant with their Glenfiddich line. It was their Glenfiddich 15-year-old. So, the Glenfiddich 15 is made up of three different uh, cast finishes. And what we did was, we took Prensato, and we took three of the components, and we matched them up. So, this was our masterclass. We were able to take one of the components and and match it with the the American oak or the Solera cast. We, We matched up three of the components. And then they got a chance to drink a Glenfiddich 15 Cask Strength and a Prensado as the class. This was eight or nine years ago. And everyone loved it. And we said, well, why don't we kind of take the show on the road and start doing these little Purito breakdown, you know, uh, uh, Glenfiddich breakdowns. And the relationship built. And then we were starting to do cigar whiskey events all over the world with them. It just, the relationship is built. We're both family-owned businesses. Um, You know, they don't have share. They're they're a sixth-generation company, Mm -hmm. right? Now with Alec and Bradley in the business, we're a second-generation cigar company. So we just got along great. All the ambassadors, uh, I would go out and train their ambassadors on cigars. They would come in to our national sales meeting. We'd always have to have them at the end of a national sales meeting. You don't bring the whiskey guys in until you're finished trying to teach your your sales guys something. And, um, they would do whiskey training for all of our sales staff. And so we would go we'd be able to, you know go to a cigar bar and do a real pairing for consumers. And the relationship continued to get stronger and stronger and whiskey that they uh, that they distill out of out of uh, Hudson Valley, New York, Tuttle uh, Tuttletown distillery. And so I said, I better kind of learn more about American whiskey, bourbon and rye and those things and mm-hmm. That kind of got me started. I mean, I was already kind of into it from many years ago, but now I had to do it professionally in some way, you know, as part of my business. And then the next thing you know, I started collecting, and, and
1: then and then, and, and then you can't stop. It's it's a it's a freight
0: train. That just kind of like stop. cigars, you know. Yeah. Well, one of my yeah. favorite moments of the last year was we were blending the cigar. Well, we're picking the blend for the Urodashi, and when we finally picked the right one. You brought out a bottle of W.L. Weller
1: 107. That's right. And that was amazing. I do remember that. That was
2: incredible. <laughs> Polished that thing off you, like nothing. You were talking about it. And you're like, you know, I haven't. I don't know if you said maybe I haven't had the Weller 107. I love it. You know, the antique 107. And I had a bottle. And uh, yeah, I don't think that. I don't think that bottle lasted very very <laughs> no. long. From what I remember. <laughs>
0: I took some home with me in a flask, you know. I, don't know. I didn't tell you about that Perfect, at the time, but.
1: So what? Do you have anything poured tonight? what do What have you? What are you, you drinking tonight?
2: Yeah, so right now uh, it's a Glenfiddich 15 that I'm pouring, and then I actually just because I'm in a makeshift office, right, and I don't have a lot of room, <clears throat> so I poured that into a flask, and then just in case I go through that, um, Glenfiddich 12 back underneath that, What's and your, then if what... I have to. Within four steps of me, there's another. You might have to couple of yeah, this... couple of couple of hundred bottles. <laughs> <laughs> what's
1: your sort? What's your sort of go to? Like you know, on on a nightly basis, you just want to pour something and sit down and have a cigar. What's the kind of? What's the one that you just gravitate towards?
2: I mean, if there's one whiskey that I'm going to have that I know I'm going to enjoy every night is the Glenfiddich 15 year old. I just have an affinity for that one specific Scotch, but. Uh, in trying to get past this, this um, you know shelter-in-place <laughs> lockdown that we're in, I told Alec and Bradley both, who were into whiskey, both of them, um, listen, I'm going to do a different whiskey every night for a week, mm. and, and just to see, like you know, there's stuff I haven't seen in a couple of years or whatever. So I ended up doing eight nights in a row of different whiskeys, and then. I thought, you know, it would be pretty cool, and I may still do this. I, I, I just kind of threw the idea out there that what I would maybe do is do 30 whiskeys, all starting, let's say, from four, you know, from number four, and try and go up and see if I can hit every number. And just something on the bottle has to have a, a number designation to it that makes sense. So it may be a four-year-old, or it may be even, let's say, um, a Balvini uh, uh, ton fifteen oh nine batch four, and that four would, mm. you know, hold. And uh, see see if I could hit every number.
1: I want to interview you on day thirty. I think that would be that would be the that would be an incredible interview. <laughs>
2: yeah, if you if you can find me, I'm happy to do it.
1: Uh, Alan, <laughs> last week on the show we had Bobby Newman, J C Newman, on the show, mm-hmm. and it was so neat talking about you know the the family company and. And how, you know, his grandfather and then his father and then himself and then his nephew drew and so on. And just the cigar industry seems to be just such a family oriented business, you know, industry. And your company's the same way. You work with your two sons. And I mean, they're they're great kids. I mean, um we've had so much fun hanging out when we and, me and um, Bradley went to a hockey game when I was out there recently. And and hung out at uh, Smoke on the Water and had a good time. But, you know, talk a little bit. I, I, I'm i lucky enough I get to work with my son in, in this company as well. But talk a little bit about what it's like, you know, having them finally, you know, really be integrated and now even starting their own company. But they're so integrated with what you do on a day-to-day basis. And I personally love that. I think that's one of the great things about the cigar industry. But But maybe you could touch a little bit on what it's like working with your two boys.
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, let me start by saying that when you look at the Newmans and the history that that family has in the premium tobacco industry, that is, it's it's incredible to see that, you know, someone started four or five, four generations ago. Yeah. And they're still, they're still in it. Yeah. And, and they're still in it. I mean, that's, it just shows exactly what this industry is. Um, and so, you know, I always wanted that, right? I've I've always wanted that. Even I saw recently I just saw an interview with Bill Paley who restarted La Polina, right? And that his grandfather was in the cigar business many, many years ago. So I think, you know, there's a great saying, it's actually a Cuban saying and I don't speak Spanish, so I'll just give you the translation, that once you're bitten by the tobacco beetle, you're infected for life. Mm. And you know, once you're in this industry, there's so many great people, there's so many great relationships that are built, it's hard to leave. You know, most people come into this industry, they don't leave. And so now when Alec and Bradley both finished school, um, I I mean, I always kind of knew Alec would be in the business because he always was, you know, from the time he was 13 years old, 14, I'd be sitting out in the back smoking blends and he would say, hey, dad, that smells sweet or that seems to be really kind of earthy and in its flavor and that he wasn't old enough to smoke and he never did at that time. But he would sit there, you know, and, and ask me questions. So I kind of knew the direction he was going to head. And I, I, I and and Bradley, Bradley finished college, and I was like, "So what are you going to do?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had no clue. He's like, "What do you mean?" I said, "You ask me business questions, and you always ask me questions I don't have answers to. <laughs> so you're going to be great. You're 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 going to be great in business because of the way you, your your mind works. But what are you going to do?" He goes, "Dad, I wasn't asking you business questions." I was asking you questions about Alec Bradley's business because I want to come into the business. Mm. And and I sit to him, listen, I said, there's a couple of things you have to do, right? You have to decide. I said, nobody needs cigars, right? Everyone needs insurance. Mm. So maybe you should go in the insurance business because it's a lot broader market. And I said, but on the other side, nobody wants insurance and people want cigars. So <laughs> You have to decide if you want to sell a want or a need. Mm. And I said, it's a lot of fun selling a want. And they both got into it. Um, I never pigeonholed them when they came in. I never said, you're going to go into the accounting or you're going to do logistics or you're going to do marketing. I just said, come in every day. We're going to find some stuff to keep you busy. You're going to float around. You're going to learn every aspect of the business. And let's see where you fall. You know, Let's see where you end up. And it, because it, it wouldn't be fair for me to have them come into the business and then to mandate what they're going to do in the business. Right. Cause I think that's a recipe for failure. So, and they both ended up uh, in marketing on the marketing side of our company and Alec heads a little more towards sales programs and working with the sales staff. Um, and Bradley loves the packaging and the marketing and the social media stuff. So, I think it's going to be a pretty powerful combination, and um, you know, I I told them both, hey, over the next couple of years, you really need to decide where you want this business to go because you know I'm doing this now 25 years next year, and I've built I've built the foundation, and you know the next 25 years are your guys, so decide decide where you want to take it.
1: Yeah, you know, every everybody dreads uh, when there's somebody in the family that sells insurance, right? but nobody dreads when there's somebody in the family that sells cigars. Oh, no. right? I mean, that's just that, like, that's that's perfect. Correct. it works perfectly. So speaking of that, like Alan, you've, you've been through all, all kinds of stuff in those 25 years I and mean, you've seen a yeah. little bit of everything. Um, you know, maybe just talk a little bit about some of the challenges, some of the maybe lessons you've learned along the way, uh, some failures, some successes, that kind of thing. I mean, um, it's, it's fascinating when you talk to guys like you and Bobby Newman and that, that, that you've seen so much of this, you know, a lot of the guys they've just seen this last, you know, eight or 10 years, but you've, you've got a, a sort of a broader spectrum of the stuff that you've seen go that happened in this cigar industry. And you've had some massive successes and maybe some failures, maybe you could talk through some of your biggest challenges along the way.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like it. it at the end you have to have more successes than you have failures right but yeah i think that you learn a lot from those failures and and we've had them on every on every level um great cigars bad packaging um great cigars great packaging wrong pricing wrong message i mean there's a million things that can go wrong when you're creating something for your brand and so to me you know let's let me let me start a little bit a little bit older than that when I first started, I remember these I remember these little benchmarks like, hey, if I could do if I could do uh, you know a hundred thousand dollars a month in sales, let's just talk about that or if I could get to a million you know a million dollars a year in sales and and then you hit that benchmark, you're like, okay, what's the next one?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, okay, I want to get to three hundred thousand dollars a month. You know you, you start to create these benchmarks to keep going. And what I find 25 years later is we still have benchmarks. You know, we still create benchmarks for our company. Not we sales related. What do we want the brand to be? What do we want our, our our brand perception to be? And how do we get better at that? What what can we do new? And what can we take that's old and refresh? And there's a million ways to continue to grow in the business. But I mean, I've seen it from from boom to bust. You know, I've I've been during in in the business during that you know that time uh, in the late '90s into 2000s. I've seen when there was when I first got in the business, um, it was the the boom was over and we were in the in the bust part. And there was a there were two hundred million cigars consumed in the United States. The problem is is that there were three hundred million cigars imported, so there was a glut of material. You know, people weren't selling anything. You couldn't put, get your stuff on the market. Uh, you couldn't get your stuff on shelves. It was there were tough times even to the times that we launch a line and it's doing phenomenal. And then something happens on the production and we can't get production for six weeks. You know, it's, we're in an all natural business, right? We're in a business that products are all natural. You have environmental problems you have. We deal in developing countries and they have political issues. I mean, it's just, it's one over the other. I mean, I remember being in Honduras and going back from the factory to the airport and the driver says to me, "Yeah, oh, we have a problem. There's a helicopter." I go, "It's a helicopter." He goes, "No, it's a military helicopter." I go, "Okay, what does that mean?" <laughs> he said, "He said there's a teacher strike. There's seven factors on the bridge going into the into the Capitol." you don't even know what the next question's supposed to be, <laughs> right. like, "Okay, what what does this mean?" And he's like, "Just wait, you'll see." And all of a sudden, literally, a a powder blue school bus that I thought had kids in it stopped in front of us and their SWAT team wow. jumped out in, in riot gear. And I'm like, what business did I get into? Like, <laughs> what, what, what am I doing down the here? The teacher's strike's a lot
1: different here in the States, right? I mean... yes.
2: Yeah, so I said, well, what's going to happen? He said, no, the SWAT team won't get near him. The last time they did, the teachers beat the shit out of so, <laughs> <laughs> You know, so... Um, just it's uh, you know we've been there during hurricanes we've we were there when they thought there was going to be a military coup um, we've you know it, it just it's it's been the most tremendous ride it has been the most uh, fun roller coaster experience I could ever imagine and with all that it's been the most difficult experience because through all the trials and tribulations you still have to figure out how do I build a brand. Not just sell cigars, right? right. The selling of the cigars is is the result of building a brand, right? So you know, and and uh, you know, I wasn't trained. Uh, you know, that's not what my schooling is, and, and I didn't know how to do it. So everything's been trial and error. But you know, twenty five years later, I'm still here. So,
1: right. um, Jordan, we'll take a let's take our break now. A quick uh, commercial break, and when we get back, I got I, I'm going to ask Alan about uh, winning cigar of the year in 2011 and how that all went down and the trials and tribulations and the tough part of that. I mean, there's an there's, uh, interesting story there. Uh, this show is sponsored by JR Cigars, one of the world's largest online cigar stores. JR's inventory ranges from everyday bundled cigars to incredibly high-end boxes, including the brand new exclusive Cabanas, crafted by the legendary Don Pepin Garcia. Don't forget to check out their social media pages, including YouTube where they feature cigar reviews, interviews, and their famous weekly top five videos. Check out JR Cigars for all of your premium cigar needs. This is episode 241 of Smoke Night Live. We are hanging out with Alan Rubin, uh, CEO, founder of Alec Bradley Cigars. Alan, uh, welcome back to the show. In 2011, you have the honor of winning Cigar of the Year from uh, Cigar Aficionado. And that had to be a thrill, but there was challenges along the way. Uh, When you first found out that you won Cigar of the Year that year, uh, did you have any inclination that that was going to happen, or was it a total shock to you? Uh, Talk me through that.
2: Yeah, well, um, yeah, I mean, a complete shock. I found out exactly when everyone else found out. Uh, I would like to have had some notice, but that's not how they do it. Um, So I remember... I actually remember that week. Um, I, I think back then they announced ten, nine, and eight, which is how they do it: ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, and then they do eleven through twenty-five the next. So I think it was a Tuesday. They did ten, nine, and eight, and uh, I get into my office, and uh, I remember a girl, Lori Bond, who worked with me. One of my first, she was my first employee, really. And she looked at me and she said, We didn't get 10, 9, or 8. I'm like, it's okay. You know, that's okay. We we just we, we're not we are not doing this for the ratings. We're you know, we're this is our this is our livelihood. We've got to keep going. The next day I came in, they announced seven six five. She's like depressed, a couple of people we didn't get seven six five. Um it, Thursday was four three two. I'm like, okay, listen, guys. I can't come in every day and you guys have this look on your face. you know, I hope we get top 25 right well so friday was was the number one announcement and then monday was 11 through 25. so when 432 we weren't in there and i said guys you know everyone's got to relax let's just keep doing what we do um business as usual and then that friday morning i was getting ready to go to work and uh and my wife said, Hey, where are you going? And I'm getting ready to leave. She goes, no, why don't you stay? You know, at 10 o'clock, they announced number one. And I said, I'm, I'm not doing that. I said, I, I don't want to go through. It's not number one. Then we have the weekend. And then I have to figure out, man, I hope I'm in at least 11 through 25. And you know, it's a great marketing piece and, and we can use it. And she's like, no, no, don't leave. I said, let me just, let me just go to work. And she said, no, let me get Alec who, you know, school, maybe he was off that day, whatever it was. And uh, and she said, Alec, get your get your laptop. And w- he came into our bedroom, and he just kept hitting refresh at 10 of, you know <laughs> ten ten o'clock. Mm. And then the next thing you know, the Prince Auto band pops yeah. up, and uh, it's a numbing. It's it's a moment that there's actually for me it was no thought there was no there was nothing going through my head. I looked at it as if I had seen a, a ghost, like mm. you know. Because, look, what the, let's call it what it is, every cigar that was number one prior, and and actually now even post-Alec Bradley's 2011 Cigar of the Year, was either a Cuban brand, a Cuban family, a Latin family. We were the only cigar maker, and to this day, the only cigar maker that ever got number one that was not generational or a Cuban family or a Cuban brand. So... You know, it, it wasn't even the realm in the realm of my thought. Um, and I remember, you know, again, when the blood came back into my body, like, OK, <laughs> what what just happened? Um, I said, OK, I'm going I'm to go to the office. I know the mood will have changed. And so I, I actually never knew this. I never knew liquor stores opened at 10 in <laughs> South Florida. I did not know that. And I went to the liquor store near me and I picked up two bottles of champagne and brought them to the office. And I said, you know, I wanted to congratulate everybody. And I said, okay, the work starts now. Now, now we really have to do our work. Um, and I do remember, I just want to tell you this, and I probably shouldn't because I've never told this story before ever, Yes. but You're later I've never told this before later that day, probably around three or four o'clock that afternoon, uh, the phone rang, and someone picked it up and said, "Mr. Schenken is on the phone for you." And I picked up the phone and I said, "Hi, Marvin." He goes, "So, how's your day going?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness!
2: <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, it was incredible. So those were the the definite highlights. I mean, that, that Friday when I came in, it was like a scene out of Wall Street. You know, sell, 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 sell. The phones were ringing we were sold out of the inventory on Prinsado by that afternoon, every stick that we had. Jeez.
1: That's amazing, right? I mean, but that, that creates its own challenges. I mean, the fact that just that demand creates a challenge for you, you know?
2: Yeah. It actually went from, you know, what I thought was the pinnacle of my career at that time to, you know, within a year or a year and a half later being the lowest point of my career. Um, and the reason is, is because we grew in one year, we grew 65%. Mm, that's tough. And that's just, it's not possible to sustain any level of quality control. And ultimately we ended up, you know, over a year, we'd go down to the factory and, and, you know, do we have, this is everything in line? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Let's keep doing what we're doing. But, you know, prensado shares tobaccos with Tempest. So if I was making more prensado. Some of those leaves that we normally would use in some of the Tempest production, that started to falter. And things just went awry. We just didn't have the quality control uh, components in place. We didn't have the processes in place or the procedures to handle that type of growth. And we ended up, you know, unfortunately or sadly, in some way, we ended up putting some bad cigars in the market, you know, un- basically underfilled. And believe it or not, Eric, it came down. To one statement, the whole debacle of not doing the cigars properly, one statement, and I said to our partner in the factory, be careful of the draw. They cannot draw too tight. Mm. And that translated is, let's make it a looser draw. All right. That was it. That was pretty much the beginning of the end.
1: Now, by the way, just so you know, just under quarantine, the cigar dojo has grown 65%. But that's <laughs> that's a different story. Personal. Now, something, cool. Alan, that I really, really love about what you guys did is there was you didn't try to sugarcoat this or hide it or anything. You were very straightforward, and I think that that was a genius strategy. It, I mean, I don't think it was – in your mind, it probably wasn't even a strategy. It was probably just this is the no. right thing to do. But, I mean, from my perspective in marketing, looking back at this – it was a genius move, just to be straightforward and and admit it. And because because of that, because of your openness and your willingness to just be straightforward, people are very people are generally you know for, they forgive. And I think that that went a long way for people understanding the 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 pressure that you guys were under and the mistake that it was. And then you were just able to to move on, and people were you know okay with that.
2: Yeah, so, so, you know, there was a time frame between the time that we were making what I felt were great cigars uh, and good enough to get number one to this slow degradation of the quality just because we couldn't keep up and the factory didn't really want to let me down by saying that we could you know, we don't, we can't, we can't keep up with the production. They didn't, they didn't necessarily want to say no, but they didn't, they didn't want to disappoint me either. Um so, th- you know, that took a, a period of time. And then what I realized, and I, first of all, I was called all over the place, right? I had, I was called by the Honduran Consulate to do a dinner. I was called all over the country to do events. And I realized really what I needed to do was just be down at the factory more than normal. Cause I was down at the factories every four to five weeks. I'd look over, I'd, we would always blend and then we'd do productions, whatever productions we were doing, go back, um, after the aging period, smoke the production and then put it in a box and, and ship it. And because I was everywhere but where I really needed to be, um, you know, that's when that's when things went south. But ultimately, again, what started as a highlight ended up being a low point. At the end, again, became a highlight. Right. And the reason is because it ended up making us, you know, better cigar makers. Right. Because we started putting. More quality control components into the into into effect from the fields, from the fermentation, from the aging rooms, packaging. Everything that we did now had a reason and a purpose. And when you're doing, you know, x amount of cigars, your procedures are okay. When you're growing at such a tremendous level so quickly, what felt through the cracks you didn't notice until it was big. Right. And so we ended up making substantive changes throughout every process that we do. And we always knew that we, that, you know, we had the ability to make great cigars. I think we have as good a tobacco as anyone in the world. I think our our tobacco, the flavor of what we produce uh, is as good as anyone in the world. And we just didn't, we weren't, we weren't able to keep it all together at the time. But when Cigar Aficionado did the article on everything that occurred, I could not have done that until I knew everything was fixed. Right. So.
1: I was going to ask you as a a follow-up question, um, you know, if you were to get cigar of the year this year, you know, what would you do differently? But you pretty much, I think you kind of answered that in, in your response there, but is there, you know, imagine this year comes around and boom, you get cigar fishing out of cigar of the year In, in your mind. Do you ever like go through that? Like this, okay, this, I, this is what we need to, to do to be ready, if if that is we're ever lucky enough to you know have that happen to us again,
2: yeah, one hundred percent, without without a question. Uh, first of all, everything would change because we have we have a, you know our our human resource uh, our human resources have also grown right. We have more people with more tobacco knowledge. So, I mean, the truth is, I would just I would have a house down there. We would have one or two people for quality control full-time down there in addition to what we already have we would make sure that everything is coordinated right the tobacco the production what comes up and we would set our capacities and say hey this is what we can produce as a you know great in terms of great products and anything up and above that we just won't do right. and just ride it for for what it is and uh i would spend you know i i would be down there more than they would want me to be down there <laughs> <laughs> Let,
1: let's talk project 40 this is a cigar that you guys came out with last year it was our value priced cigar of the year this is a cigar that is ridiculous surprise the ridiculously affordable and and i gotta tell you like it was getting a lot of good reviews and stuff and I, and part of me and i'm gonna just be honest with you part of me was like what is everybody doing talking about this cigar like it can't be that good I mean, it's I, five dollars it's a five dollar cigar and so when we got that cigar when we got that cigar i was i was blown away like that is one of the best sub six dollar cigars i've ever had it's incredible um talk a little bit about project 40 how it came to be because that cigar is one that i mean a lot of the guys that are involved with cigar dojo they're just they're you know joe Sixpack kind of guys like myself And it proves that you can make a really good cigar for a really inexpensive price.
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, the real deal story about Project 40, there's two pieces, the cigar in itself and then what we did with that cigar. So uh, initially, um, you know, uh, Jesus Fuego makes that cigar for us. And Jesus had called me and said, you know, with everything going on with FDA, you know, my brand necessarily is not doing what I needed to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm a cigar man. I'm a tobacco man, you know, grew up in the tobacco fields and I want to get back to making cigars. And I said, well, okay, what do you, what do you need for me? He said, I need some production. And I said, okay, how much production do you need? And he told me, and I said, well, okay, what's your capacity on production? And he told me, and I said, okay, how's this? We will do something between what you're asking for and what your total capacity is. I think we can do something. You know, that would, be, that would be the intent to try and get that done. There's no guarantees that we can do anything, but the intent is to, you know, you've been my friend for a long time and if I can find a way to help you, I'm more than happy to do it. We went down with Jesus. We worked on the tobaccos. We worked on tobaccos that he was able to procure. You know, his father is like an iconic tobacco man around the world. So through his father's connections and those type of things, we were able to get certain tobaccos. And I said, okay, here's what, here's what we're trying to achieve based on this idea of this Project Ford. And he's like, you know, we would have to commit a huge amount of tobaccos to even get close. And I said, okay. I said, I love the blend that we came up with. And I think this thing is going to, you know, just kill it. I think the cigar is going to be really well accepted and i'm willing to commit to the to the amount of tobacco and he i mean he looked at me like with glazed eyes Like, <laughs> I, 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 I like that you know i was just asking to help you know help get me through my rough spot and this is what you're talking about i said yeah i said i'm i'm, I'm willing to wire you money right now to procure all the tobacco that we need so that was on the cigar in itself project 40 Project 40 was something that I had researched and basically it is that the amount of pleasure that you receive is broken down into three pieces. 50% of it is inherited, 10% is environmental, and then the other 40% you control. Because what I was looking at was, you know, there are certain things that make people feel a level of pleasure, whether it's music that you enjoy or food or spirits or exercise. There, There are things that bring you to another place. And I always thought, you know, cigars bring people to that same place, right? It kind of transcends where somebody is, puts them in a better mood, maybe an elevated mood. They have a chance to relax um, and get away without ever leaving their home. And, And so I said, I think, you know, I'd like to do something called Project 40, where there's no resistance, that people can buy it, not worry about their wallet, not, you know, not be offended where a cigar is so mild it doesn't give you anything or it's so strong that it inundates the palate. We want to have something that you could smoke early in the day or late in the evening, afford it. It was pleasant. It was nicely packaged, not over the top, and not so simplistic that nobody would really look at it. There was a lot that went into it. And, um, yeah, it's it's doing very well for us.
0: So, Alan, that, that cigar is under the Experimental Series sub-brand mm-hmm. that you guys made up is that? Is there a planned next release in that experimental series?
2: Yeah, we've been, we're, we're working on another uh, another release of the experimental series, but with everything going on right now, we're trying to figure out what brands are actually going to come out and when. And so some things are going to maybe get pushed back till next year or later in the year. But we are working on a second release of an experimental series. Gotcha.
1: You know, it seems like in uh, I mean, leading up to all this federal regulatory stuff that you guys have to to deal with, the cigar consumers' insatiable appetite for new stuff is was reaching a fevered pitch but it all it kind of always fascinates me to to ask guys like you how do you how do you what do you do to make you know regular brands ongoing and remain in the in the consumer's eye, because, you know, everybody wants the new thing, the new thing, the new thing. Now that is going to be harder and harder to do. So you really have to focus on the brands that you have and have them continue to be, you know, in the consumer's mind. How do you keep folks interested in lines that, you know, are existing, uh, but at the same time, you know, you got to keep them fresh somehow, keep them in their mind and keep people smoking them, buying them.
2: Well, if you look at some of the releases that we've just, Um, brought to market over the last couple of years between Alec and Bradley's two with Blind Faith and Gatekeeper. And those are unique in their packaging styles. Uh, Magic Toast, also kind of a unique packaging style for us. Uh, Black Market, Black Market Esteli, uh, the illicit line. We kind of headed in the direction. The one thing I never wanted to do was get caught up in this is who we are, or this is what people expect us to be you know, I never wanted to lose the ability to try and be creative. So we said, Okay, we're going to have a line. We're going to have a traditional style portfolio with Tempest and Alec Bradley, Connecticut, prensado Mundial, those type of things. But I, I like to be creative, I want to be creative, I want to do some cool things. And I don't, I don't want to not be able to do those because it doesn't fit into the port into the standard portfolio for us. So we we've had some really great growth in there, but you have brands that have been around for quite some time. We have you know Tempest that has been around for almost 15 years, you know 14 years, and and you know um, the consistency on Tempest. You know after we got past the bad cigars, kind of the 2012 our own pandemic in a way, um, we were able to you know people love the, the the brand and people love the blend, and so we're going to probably do a refresh. On some of our more traditional style stuff, really build the elegance back to that part of our portfolio, um, and and everything. If the cigar is good, people will 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 go back to it over and over. Our job is to figure out how to keep it fresh, and right. and we're working. Out, we work on that every day.
1: That's a challenge, right? I mean, you know, because of the fact that you know through craft beer, especially that that, you know, folks just tend to want what's next. Right. I mean, they want the, the new, the new thing,
2: but. Yeah. And you, by the way, you can do that, right. Because there are times that you have releases that are part of your core line. And then there are times that we do it. Uh, and, and part of it is not that we're trying to create limited releases, but sometimes the project mandates that it's limited. And we have five, I think five releases that we do one time a year. So that also keeps people talking about Alec Bradley, and uh, we have a lot of loyalists. I mean, we have a, we have a tremendous following, you know, worldwide on people that look forward to our our annual releases and people that are smoking our stuff on a regular basis. And our job is to keep them keep them close to keep them emotionally engaged with the brand. So that's really a, a focus for our company, and getting more into that now.
1: Right. So your sons start their own company, Alec and Bradley, and. Mm-hmm. The, the the line is from them and from you is uh, th- this is truly our thing and our dad is going to let us fail or succeed however that happens that isn't true right I mean come on let's just be honest like you you, you know they come up with some wacky idea and you you got to pull Bradley aside you know <laughs> give him a little you know a little whack on the on the hiney and say dude you can't you can't you can't do that there's uh, spankings that go on yeah, in Alex Bradley I think so I mean come on
2: Okay. Okay, Dad, you try that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, so here's the deal. I I told them very early again in their careers, you have to decide. Do you want to be Alan's kids or do you want to be Alec and Bradley? Make your own name. And they said, no, we we want to do that. And I said, great, you're going to put up money and you're going to create your own lives. Uh, you know, that, that gave a look like you don't want your kids to ever give you like <laughs> my, my money. And I'm like, yeah, because right, exactly. Cause you need to, I said, you need to feel what I felt. You need to, you need to have that, that anxiety where you can't sleep at night. Cause you just put every dollar you had and the right. line has to work. You don't have, you don't have a choice and you need to feel what that is. and so. You know they they started with blind faith, and this is this is the truth. They came to me. They went down. You know they were in the factories. They were in the fields. They were doing the blends and the tobaccos. And uh, they came to me at one point and said, "Dad, okay, we're down to two blends. We want your opinion." And I said, "Absolutely not." Wow! Ouch! Yeah, Dang. I said, "You guys decide which blend you want to bring to market." I'll smoke both. And then I will hold my opinion until I hear which direction you want to go. And fortunately, we were all on the same page on the blend. I am like, yeah, I think that's the number one blend. And they're like, yes, we love it. That's what we wanted to do. And I said, great. And I believe I've had one decision on that line. Literally, I made one suggestion. It's on the packaging because it's the it's the talking had the TV head. And it's a suit. And I said, change the tie from blue to brown.
1: That's important stuff. (laughs) But now I can also see, you know, you wanting, you know, Alec Bradley to be, you know, a second generation company at some point when maybe you're ready to you and your wife, you know, retire to a beach in some small island in the Pacific or something like (laughs) that. Uh, Do you you ever foresee them just taking over Alec? Bradley or, or will they just veer off in this direction indefinitely?
2: Well, I mean, ultimately, you know, they are, they are, they are Alec Bradley cigar. I mean, they, I wanted them to experience what their own line was. I wanted them to know what success felt like. And if it didn't work, I wanted them to understand what failure felt like. And I would be there to support them. I mean, they still go, they, you know, they still use Alec Bradley's distribution channels. Um, they still utilize a lot of our relationships, our sales force. Alec and Bradley is sold through Alec Bradley as, a, as the distributor. But I wanted them to understand what it felt like to have a line that people loved and that people wanted to find out about and, you know, find out more about the makers and know, know what that feeling is, because that's, that's a driving feeling. To want to do more and do better, and so yeah, they'll they'll always well. I don't even know if they'll always produce Alec and Bradley. You know, I'm not sure where that goes. Right. Um, you know, that's 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 the, the long term vision now, but you don't know where that goes. And ultimately, they are being groomed to be able to take over Alec Bradley uh, with with a lot of the people that we currently have within our our staff. I mean, we have a phenomenal group of people, young hearted, energetic. Uh, people that are passionate about Alec Bradley, and and you know, if I was the owner of a football team, I would want to build a great you know coaching staff that could that could move you know the the, the team forward. Right. And so that's really what I'm doing is saying, hey, let's surround ourselves with the best people that we know to you know be around. Um, let's hire. You know, I tell everybody if the motto is hire where you're weak. If I hire one more person, I'm kind of out of a job myself. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's that's
1: exactly how I feel in the Cigar Dug.
2: Yeah, Yeah, just, you know, I've I've phenomenal people and Alec and Bradley get the benefit of that long term.
1: So be honest, which was the most miserable of the two to raise? Was it Alec or was it was it Bradley?
0: It's got to be Alec.
1: Come on.
2: (laughs) 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 So Jordan, that's his personal experience.
1: (laughs) He's the older. He's the oldest. See, so you can relate.
2: Yeah. Alec is more like me, so, so Alec is more emotional, and hold on. Let's see if uh, I, may may. I may Charging up awesome. one of the old pods.
0: There we go. That's
2: right. I can still hear you. Hold
0: on. Oh, charging both the
2: pods. Jordan Jordan told me my headset did
0: <laughs> That was me, I think. Well, you got to take turns with those bad boys. you got to know how to wield can them. Can you people. hear me? Yeah, we
1: can hear you. All
2: right, hold on a second. Let me see if I can turn this up. Okay. We should be okay.
1: We're good. We're good. We're golden.
2: Okay. I, you know what? Unfortunately, guys, I can't hear you. Uh-oh. Um, can you give me what having. You were worried about your technical difficulties.
1: So you cannot hear oh, us. One second. You're
0: going to have to switch your sound from the AirPods to Let's the, see if I can get the computer. Yeah,
1: if you turn, uh, it's probably still trying to go to your AirPods, your sound, probably.
2: Okay. okay. I can. you. You can,
1: there? You can hear us? I hear you down. There we go. Okay, so we might have a, a little bit of a feedback, but we should be okay. Go go ahead. Finish your uh, thought it, on Alec. Char-
2: it will charge, and I'll go back to it. The- well, finish your thought uh, on so how Alec- terrible Alec is, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Alec Alec is more like me. You know, he's he's more emotional when it comes to decision making. Um, and Bradley is definitely more like my wife, where she's a little more analytical about things, steps back a little bit more. Um, So I mean Alec was definitely the tougher child to raise. I knew it. I I (laughs) totally
1: I can totally empathize. (laughs) (laughs) But on the other hand, I'm always right. so all right you let's, guys have a lot in common yeah let's uh let's veer from cigars uh it's time for the weekly top three jordan whoa weekly, weekly top
0: three. three so the weekly top. someday three. i'll put a like a real sound bit in there that's
1: official but yeah, i kind
0: of like just doing it myself
1: you know? yeah you, you whoa! <laughs> um the weekly top three this week it, there's this i don't know a lot of people may or may not know this but pete johnson spent six months being a roadie for the jonas brothers like he just decided yeah. I, w- I just want to be a roadie a legit roadie he was a legit roadie for the jonas brothers for like three months or something like that so my question in the weekly top three and me and jordan have our picks as well what three bands either past or present living or dead would you like to spend three to six months on the road with being a roadie So, Jordan, I'm going to start with you, and Alan can think about this for a tad. Jordan.
0: You guys are not going to like my
1: picks. Uh, It doesn't matter if we like them or not. Well, you're going to go look them up after the show, because
0: number one is the Chariot. Okay. The The most fun band you're ever going to see live. Guys hanging from the rafters playing guitar. It's the craziest show you'll ever see. That would be my ideal roadie tour. Okay. Number two. Oh, I'm going all three. You're just gonna go all three. Number two was uh, Manchester Orchestra. It's been my favorite band for about ten years now. Uh, kind of just alternative indie style. Um, and then number three, just because of the fun factor, Beastie Boys. Oh, Beastie Boys. If you guys have ever seen? Like, Beastie Boys made uh, like a thirty-minute film, and it won some it won some indie awards, probably like twenty eleven or so, where it was. Seth Rogen, um, who's all in it? Seth, Seth Rogen is, no. Okay. Seth Rogen, some, a couple other act comedians playing the three Beastie Boys. Hilarious. Check it out. If you get a chance, um, I think it'd be a lot of fun. All
1: right. So my, th- my top three, uh, bands that I'd like to be a roadie for. Danny would be, McBride.
0: That was the other one. Oh,
1: Uh, Obviously, first off, boom, Frank Sinatra. I mean, you know what we would be.
0: Jack Black, that was the other one. We'd be doing. Those are the three. Playing the Beastie Boys. All right. Okay.
1: Beastie Boys. I'd go Frank Sinatra because we'd be drinking bourbon and smoking cigars the entire time, which would be incredible. Uh, Then I would go with The Clash. And finally, uh, if I could, The Ramones. So those are my. So let's go to Alan Rubin. Alan, if you were going to be a roadie for a. Performer, past or present, living or dead, who would your top three be?
2: Okay, so I again, you're talking about just being a roadie for a band, so it's not necessarily, let's say, my my favorite music, but in terms of the experience, right? One would be the the Beatles, mm. of course. Two would would be so that's kind of in that '60s world-changing experience. Then I would say the Doobie Brothers.
1: For obvious reasons.
2: Well, because when they started, they weren't even known as the Doobie Brothers. Um, That name—that name was changed based on their lifestyle. Mm. And then the third would be Guns N' Roses.
1: Oh yeah, that would be a killer. That would be a killer one. Yeah. When when Alan Rubin relaxes at night and he's got his scotch, his Doobie, and his (laughs) and his cigar, what, what what do you put on the what do you put on the stereo? What's what's your What's your kind of slow jam that you that you listen to most?
2: Uh, I'm not even sure it's a slow jam. Um, <laughs> oh, you're a
1: heavy metal guy or what? Come on.
2: No, I mean, I'm probably, um, I'm probably, I would say 1st I'd probably say Biggie Smalls would be one. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, more recent, probably maybe Action Bronson. You know, some some newer stuff. And then I go back to Boston and Brothers, that kind of stuff that you know, I grew up with and I love. Mario Speedwagon and kind of stuff like that. Sticks, um, Rush.
1: Rush, so. Rush was great. Sticks, I'd say this, one of the worst bands of all time. I just can't. I don't know why. I just can't. It was Mr. Roboto. That was the song that this Mr. Roboto, I couldn't take it. It was...
2: Horrific. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's good. J- judge me on my picks.
0: <laughs> I don't like those picks. You come up with something new. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm
1: just teasing. I'm just teasing. You know what's, what's guys being dudes? What's that? What's good to smoke cigars? To is you know some good Bob Marley, some reggae. You know that's oh, that's that's a nice cigar smoking thing.
0: We we pretty much go strictly 80s alternative and yeah, sort of sort
1: of seems that way, doesn't it? XTC. Well, Alan, I got I gotta thank you so much for taking the time on this Friday night to uh, to be on Smoke Night Live with us. It was a blast.
2: For me too. Uh, and a lot of good came out of it. I now can smoke in my home. Yes. Um, if so anything, that was I will that really, was because of us. If, I, I like to for feel. any
1: other reason that that, that was the best reason. Can we take
2: credit for that? I, I will be forever grateful <laughs> to you guys. <laughs> uh, and you know what, this is this is, I have to tell you, when you guys came into the office and we hung out. For, I know you were going to come for an hour, and like nine hours later yeah. we finished up. Right. Um, but you know how like it was just easy. You know, it was just an easy conversation, and we laughed a lot, smoked a lot of cigars, and drank more than we smoked. But it was fun. It was just cool. It was like hanging out with my friends, and tonight has been the same way. So I just want to thank you guys for having me on. I'm always humbled to be with you guys, and I can't wait to uh, to do it again in person.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. In fact, I, I said this on last week's show, actually, when I was talking to Bobby Newman. I, I sort of had this, I think it was about the Bobby Newman show. Yeah. I, I had this sort of predetermined idea in my head of what you would be like. And I'm not saying I thought you were going to be a dick or anything, but I just didn't know what you were going to be like. And then Jordan, remember that day? Like he, he came in and he just plopped down. He was like getting into the jokes with us and he was just, I'm this like,
2: guy's cool. This guy is just like, a, <laughs> he's like a regular dude. Because we're, we're just all cigar smokers, and we like to have a good time while we're doing our business, and it's, it was just easy. There is one thing I do want to tell you, which is going to be pretty cool. Next week, Alec and Bradley did last week this um, four-hour company, did this live podcast, this power hour with our Glenn Fittig ambassadors. Oh, yeah, I saw
1: that on uh, Facebook. That looked really cool.
2: Yeah, so let me tell you who uh, we spoke to today, a good friend of ours who's going to do it next week, is Larry the Cable Guy. Oh really? No way. <laughs> yeah. Oh
0: my god, that's incredible. <laughs> that's awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I spoke to him today. He's mm. like, Man, I would love to be with Alec and Bradley. They've met. He you know, when he was down in South Florida, they invited him backstage and they smoked cigars together and um, he's like, Yeah, I'd love to do it. So oh, man. next week next week we'll have Larry the cable So what day what fun. day can folks tune into that? I think that's gonna be next Thursday. I believe it's one thirty Eastern. Oh, man. So that's a, yeah.
1: that a must see TV, even, baby.
2: Even I have to tell you this one thing. I can't help it. It's just, he's just funny as shit by nature. Um, I was saying that I've been doing a lot of these podcasts and Facebook, every single one of them. Every single one of them has included liquor and is answered to me on the text, with like, you're in our family prayers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm
1: i I will not miss that that episode. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, don't go away. Alan. I going to talk to you for just a second after the show. But guys, we sure. have so much going on. Uh, let's talk about what's coming up. Jordan. So Monday at lunch. So here's the deal. I go on these cigar trips. And you have to say it that way. I go on these cigar trips, Alan. I know you can still hear me. And I don't speak Spanish. And so I'm thinking to myself, I need to learn how to speak Spanish. So Mondays, around lunchtime, but uh, I think uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Mountain, uh, we're doing Cigar Española. And uh, I'm learning Spanish live while uh, smoking a cigar. Randy Griggs is teaching me spanish this monday we'll have a guest on the show which is juan cancel who says that he speaks horrible spanish so it'll be fun to have juan um it's gonna be
0: great week to week to see these white guys just suck at spanish exactly it'll be it's (laughs)
1: it's embarrassing for me but that's okay you guys can share in my embarrassment but uh i've already learned some some words this last past monday it was a ton of fun so we'll do that monday at lunchtime then we're gonna have a special episode of smoke night live on monday Uh, with Nick Perdomo, so it's Perdomo Monday, and we're going to do a Smoke Night Live on Monday night, this coming Monday night, I think that's the 27th, I believe, Uh, anyways, uh, Nick's schedule didn't work out great on Friday, so we decided to do it on Monday, so that'll be fun, and then Wednesday we go into Robbie and Randy's Flavor Odyssey, and that's a challenge episode, so one of them will be challenging another one with a pairing, which will be a ton of fun, uh, next Smoke Night Live next Friday, a week from tonight, we'll have uh, Nick LaBretti from Jair Cigars and William Cigar Coop Coop on the show. Coop-a. We're gonna be talking about all the things that have to do with uh, th- what the cigar industry is going through. You know, is there gonna be a PCA show? All that sort of stuff. That'll be fun. Plus, we'll get uh, you know, uh, Coop's. Uh, great hot takes on some music Do we just and broadcast sports. every day now. Pretty much, it all seems like it. Like literally, <laughs> right now, if you if you turn on Facebook, there's at least three cigar shows on all the time, constantly. It's great. I love it. You know, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And then the week after that, uh, Klaus Kellner will be on the show. So we've got all kinds of cool stuff coming up for you guys. Thanks to everybody who joined us on the show tonight on Facebook. We love you guys. It was an amazing time. Thanks to Alan Rubin for for joining us. Thanks to Matt for being in the studio audience, even though he's eight feet away. Appreciate that, Matt. I'm here. You're there. (laughs) And uh, so until uh, until next week, remember, never Never smoke smoke alone. alone. We'll see you guys next week.
0: Do you dream of having your own in-house cigar lounge? Well, JR Cigars is here to help. By entering our ultimate cigar lounge sweepstakes, you can win $5,000 towards your dream in-house cigar lounge. Cutters, lighters, ashtrays, chairs, whatever you can think of. Simply go to our website and click sweepstakes right up top or go to sweepstakes.jrcigars.com. You can only enter once a day, but up until May 31st, you can enter every single day. More times you enter, more chances you have to win.